Oh, welcome to the Nielsen Show, <laughs> where it is always a little bit interesting, you never know what you're going to get. So, this episode is going to be one of those episodes, and it has been a little while, so it's going to be all over the place. I got all kinds of crap updates on certain old news stories and whatever else coming your way in just a moment. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to the Nielsen Show once again. And you know, it's been busy. It's that time of year. There's a lot of stuff going on. Kids are back in school. Kids are starting their sports. And you know, towards the end of August, the archery hunt starts for me. So it is that time of year where it is busy. And uh, also on top of that, you know, kids are back in school. So also comes the sicknesses. <laughs> yeah, I gotta love it when those come back home. Uh, luckily, I've dodged it so far. <laughs> both my kids both been sick last week and most of this week. So, anyways, this episode is gonna be all over the place, and I'm gonna go back since the FBI is you know kind of the big thing in the news today or lately, um, especially since the raid on Mar-a-Lago and Trump's personal stuff and whatever else they did there. Who knows? I'm, that's going to be an ongoing story, I'm sure, for a while. But we go back to Mr. Ray Epps. So this is a story from the Epic Times. Um, it was originally from August 12th, but has been updated uh, yesterday. So it goes, Ray Epps told the FBI he expected a bomb attack near the Capitol on January 6, 2021, document show. Epps admitted to trespassing, directing protesters to go into the Capitol. I wish I could take that back, he told agents. When James Ray Epps Sr. first called the FBI regarding his January 2021 activities in Washington, he didn't mention how he implored protesters in several locations to go inside the U.S. Capitol, but he later told an agent that he expected that a bomb would detonate on a side street near the building. Those are just two of the revelations in a collection of Epps-related material obtained by the Epic Times, including FBI interview summaries, FBI audio recordings, transcripts, videos, and photographs. In two interviews with the FBI in 2021, Epps explained his actions on January 5, 2021, and January 6, 2021. He admitted that he was guilty of trespassing on restricted capital grounds and confessed to urging protesters to go to and into the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Despite the admissions, the FBI never arrested Epps, and he wasn't charged by the U.S. Department of Justice <laughs> with any January 6, 2021 crimes. Hmm, that's weird. The non-action has fueled theories that he might have been working for the FBI or another agency. Epps 61 has repeatedly denied those suggestions through his attorney. Epps recently sold his house and land in Queen Creek, Arizona because of threats and harassment and has moved to Colorado, he told the New York Times in July. Now, uh... That may not really be true because I heard from somebody that supposedly has or knows him that he's here in Utah. But that's neither here nor there. 
Um, but that's just what I've heard. <laughs> According to online records, the Arizona property sold for $2.2 million on April 28th. Epps at one time was number 16 on the FBI's January 6th, 2021 Capital Breach Most Wanted page. His entry was later scrubbed from the list without explanation. He's among a handful of persons of interest to have had their photos deleted from the FBI site. Hey, you know, we're all a bunch of conspiracy theorists, though, because, you know, and just a bunch of redneck hillbilly MAGA people, <laughs> or whatever, whatever they call us these days. Uh, you don't have to be left or right, just the left calls anybody that disagrees with them a right-wing conspiracy, you know, and all the other racist, you know, you know the drill. Goes on, like a terrorist act. In an interview with FBI agents on March 3rd, 2021, Epps said he brought a first aid kit in his backpack to Washington because he expected a terror attack. All right, this guy has either got some serious psychological problems or he's, you know, got something in with the FBI. Quote, yeah, I thought there might be a problem. That's why I was there. Epps told an FBI agent and an FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force officer in a meeting at the Phoenix office of Epps' attorney, John Blishak. Blishak told the Epic Times that he would comment after reviewing the FBI interview summary, but hadn't done so by press time. Quote, I was afraid they were going to set off an explosion on one of the side streets, Epps said, according to a recording of the interview obtained by the Epic Times. So we tried to stay in the middle, tried to get there early, tried to stay away from the sides. And if something like that happened, I had a first aid kit. I could help out. Epps told the agents that the possibility of violence weighed heavily on his mind and that he originally didn't plan to travel to Washington. It was only when he, when learning that his son James Epps Jr. was going to the Trump rally that the senior Epps decided to go and keep an eye on his son, he said. Quote, as time went on, I started getting a bad feeling like something's going to happen, said Epps, a U.S. Marine Corps veteran and former Oath Keepers leader in Arizona. Quote, there's a lot of wackies out there. I thought something would happen in D.C. I thought there might be, what do you call them, EOD, something like that. Now, here's the problem, though. If anybody's seen all the different videos of him and he was just worried about his son, then why in the frick was he sitting there Telling people, we need to go into the Capitol. We need to go into the Capitol. I mean, there's numerous different videos of him doing that. So all of this statement sounds to me like a bunch of BS. Epps might have been referring to an improvised explosive device, which is a homemade bomb that was a favorite weapon of insurgents in Afghanistan during the long U.S. war there. In military parlance, an EOD refers to an explosive ordnance disposal specialist, someone who diffuses and destroys explosives. An agent asked for clarification, quote, Oh, you mean like a terrorist act? Right, like a terrorist act, Epps said. Agents didn't press Epps on what led him to believe that there would be an explosion, nor did they ask about the two alleged pipe bombs found outside the Republican and Democrat Party headquarters, each just blocks from the Capitol. The Republican National Committee pipe bomb was placed near the corner of the Capitol Hill Club, facing a side street similar to the description Epps offered. And, as far as I know, I haven't heard another peep about this, but there has been nobody identified 
with those pipe bombs. Somehow there was no video, no surveillance, no anything on how those things got there. Very, very quiet on that. Um, let's see. <clears throat> the devices didn't detonate and the FBI hasn't arrested anyone in those cases. Epps told the FBI that he regretted the things he said in downtown Washington on the night of January 5th, 2021. Now, it's really weird, you know, for somebody that wasn't even planning on going to D.C. <laughs> uh, something just not adding up here, folks. He spoke to Internet personality Baked Alaska and video podcaster Villain Report, both of whom recorded their exchanges. Quote, in fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. I'll say it. We need to go into the Capitol, Epps told Baked Alaska, whose legal name is Anthem Gionet. Gionet? I don't know however you say that. That's not what it's about. This is about the Constitution. We're here to defend the Constitution. Right, and what did our founding fathers do in 1776 over a tax on tea, which is much, much less than this bullshit, dude? Yeah, well, just say it. Come on. We're far beyond that. If you guys are far beyond that, oh, yeah, you know that. In fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say we need, we need to go, I'll say it, we need to go into the Capitol. Let's go! Hmm, Mr. Epps. I think that was from January 5th. Epps shouted a similar theme to the crowd at large. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol, peacefully. The crowd then started chanting, Fed, 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 Fed. FBI agents told Epps that his statements on January 5th, 2021 were problematic. They said they found him often on video and in photographs from January 5th and 6th. I'm the tallest guy in the crowd and I stick out, man. They followed me, Epps said. I could never be a bank robber. What the frick does that have to do with anything? One of the agents said, we said that the same way. We said, it's a big guy, and every photo we find, he's in it. The night before, that video didn't help. <laughs> and the video the night before, what you said basically predicted what happened. Epps said, I wish I could take that back. He called the statements really stupid. On January 6, 2021, Epps was filmed near the Washington Monument, telling the crowd, we are going to the Capitol. We are pro where our problems are. It's that direction. Please spread the word. When speaking to a young man in a red and black Mackinac jacket, he said, When we go in, leave this here, pointing to something. You don't need to get shot, according to video footage of the exchange. First call to FBI on January 8th, 2021. Epps first called the FBI on January 8th, 2021, after his brother-in-law notified Epps' wife that a photograph of Epps was on the FBI website. That call to the National Threat Operations Center lasted about 27 minutes, according to an audio file of the call obtained by the Epic Times. In describing his activities, Epps never mentioned that he had urged the crowds on January 5th to go into the Capitol the next day. He said he went down to Black Lives Matter Plaza to try to calm things down after people he suspected were Antifa activists were harassing police. I never seen anything about that, so I don't know, you know, kind of hard to corroborate a story if you're just making it up. Um, quote, I tried to calm them down, Epps told the FBI operator. I tried to let them know that, you know, that this is not 
what we're here for. We're here because of the Constitution, not the police. Police are on our side. Nor did Epps mention getting on a bullhorn on January 6th and encouraging people to go to the Capitol as soon as President Donald Trump was finished speaking. He would comment on those topics nearly two months later when interviewed by FBI agents. On January call, oh, on the January call, Epps insisted that his presence on Capitol grounds was to de-escalate when things got violent. Mm-hmm. Quote, I am guilty of being there and probably trespassing, he said, but I had a reason. I was trying to calm him down. I wanted to be there, but I'm trying to calm him down. Anything I can do to help, that's, there's no call for that kind of behavior. I will be your witness. Mm-hmm, I'm sure he will be. Epps told the agents that he came to Washington to express his concerns about the 2020 presidential election. He said he received five ballots at his Queen Creek address, one each for him and his wife, and three with names he didn't recognize. Quote, we've owned the property for 11 years now. I've never heard of those three people that came there. Uh, I didn't recognize the names, he said. And then when the election went the way it did, I was a little concerned. I mean, how many apartments are there in Arizona? Three million? And if they're sending all these ballots to these different apartments, I mean, you know, that's a concern. Epps, well, I mean, he's not lying there. <laughs> Epps said he also went to support Trump. Although he didn't stay at the Ellipse for all of Trump's speech, he said he followed crowds that left the speech early and walked toward the Capitol. Quote, people started leaving early after President Trump started speaking, so they were running, and it was the same people that was F. Antifa, and this and that and the other, he said. I believe just my belief that they were Antifa, the ones there that were saying that stuff, and they were like running that way, and I'm like, maybe I can calm this down, so I went with them. Epps said it was his original intention to stay for all of the speeches at the Ellipse. Quote, I planned on being there, and word was being passed around that right after he gets done speaking, we're going to go to the Capitol. And it was a given, he said, so spread the word, spread the word. So I started spreading the word, and I said that to a lot of people there. We're going to the Capitol right after the president speaks. Perhaps the scene that drew the most attention and speculation about Epps on January 6th was when he appeared at the first breach point of police lines. Roughly 20 minutes before Trump finished speaking at the Ellipse, an aggressive crowd gathered at a lightly defended barrier on a sidewalk not far from the Peace Monument. Uh, as rioters began yanking at the bicycle rack barriers, Epps pulled Ryan Samsel back from the front line and spoke in his ear. Seconds after that exchange... Samsel and others knocked down the barrier, causing one officer to fall back and hit her head on the concrete. Quote, I walked up, to, walked up to him and I put my arm on him and said, hey, that's not why we're here. Don't be doing that, you know. He said, I don't know who he was. No clue. I just tried to talk him out of doing what he was doing. And then all of a sudden it blew up. Uh-huh. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah. When interviewed by an FBI special agent and a detective on January 30th, Samsel corroborated Epps' description of their brief verbal exchange. According to a transcript of the session obtained by the Epic Times, Samsel faces nearly a dozen January 6th related charges in the U.S. District Court in Washington. Uh, quote, now that guy I talked to, Samsel said, pointing to a photograph of Epps, he came up to me and he says, dude, his exact words were relax. He says the cops are doing their job. That's exactly what he says to me right there in that picture. Hmm. Inconsistencies in interviews. Epps' two interviews with the FBI included some inconsistencies and changed details, according to the recordings and FBI summary documents. 
He told the FBI on January 8th that his brother-in-law called him to notify him that his picture was on the FBI's January 6th website. During his March 3rd interview with FBI agents, Epps said someone contacted me and said, hey, your picture's up. When asked about his brother-in-law later in the interview, Epps said, he didn't call me, he called my sister. Then his wife interjected, that was me, and I can tell you exactly because he sent me a text, actually. Okay, so is this guy just nuts then? Is he nuts or is he an FBI agent? Or, you know, working with the FBI? It's hard to say. Hard to say. When asked about who was with him on January 5th and 6th, Epps said, my son. A short while later, he said, I think he had a friend there. He did have a friend there. I don't know his name. One of the agents said he recalled that on January 8th, 2021, phone call with the FBI, Epps said he went sightseeing on January 7th. Quote, no, we did that the day before, he told the agent. A few minutes later, however, his detail changed. Oh, you know what? Epps said the next day we did. No, we got up that morning and we went to the Vietnam Memorial. In both contacts with the FBI, he asked if his photo could be removed from the FBI's January 6th page. In the January 8th call, the FBI operator said she had nothing to do with the FBI web content. In the March 3rd interview, he was given a more discouraging take. Quote, that picture is probably still out there, will probably be there forever now, one of the agents told him. Epps said the notoriety of being publicly listed as a person of interest had caused problems. Quote, well, we've felt the repercussions. I mean, we've had people come on on our business site and try to destroy us. He said, I'm an insurrectionist. I'm a traitor. I've been called everything in the book, but it's dying down now, I hope. The agents asked Epps if his views had changed since January 6th. Quote, I still have concerns about the election. I do. I mean, I think everybody does, he said. I think our politicians, some of them, need to be in jail. I think you guys need to investigate them. I don't know. How much of what we get is the truth? I don't know. Not even worth watching the news anymore because they just make it up as they go. Okay, well, he's not wrong there. So now I'm kind of getting the uh, insight that this guy may be just a little crazy. It's hard to say. Uh, Epps met twice with the House's January 6th Select Committee, including a transcribed interview in January. Committee members seemed satisfied with what he told them. No transcript of the session has been released. Quote, Mr. Epps informed us that he was not employed by working with or acting at the direction of any law enforcement agency on January 5th or 6th or at any other time, and that he has never been an informant for the FBI or any other law enforcement agency, a spokesperson said in January. Senator Ted Cruz grilled top FBI officials about Epps in a January hearing, but received the repre- repeated refrain, I can't answer that. So, that still leaves, I guess, a lot of questions, <laughs> more than anything else. Um, so, I think part of the problem here is um, nobody really knows who to trust anymore because the FBI has done so much to damage their credibility with anybody that has a thinking brain in their head. Uh, everybody else just pretty much, oh, yeah, that's what this is what they said. That must be the truth. Let's just go with that. <laughs> And that's just typically not the case. So, the problem is now, especially with this last election, everybody knows that there was a Hunter Biden laptop story. That, once again, 
got buried by the news. It got, you know, oh, it's FBI signed off. It's Russian disinformation. They've they've got enough people believing this whole Russia boogeyman stuff that it's kind of pathetic, but uh, impressive at the same time. That, um, you know what? Tell you what, I'm going to take a quick break here because this is a Tim Pool takedown on what that is and it'll go into the next part of that which will be uh joe rogan had on the uh, facebook founder mark zuckerberg who essentially told well anyways we'll get to that we'll get to that so here in just a moment we'll get back into it And we're back into this little program here that I like to call the Nielsen Show. Entertaining or not, it entertains me. <laughs> uh, anyways, this one is from FBI is told not to investigate Hunter Biden or Hunter Biden, according to whistleblowers. And this is the Tim Cast podcast. Um, if it'll play here, hold on a second. But the story we got from the New York Post. Here we go. FBI brass warned agents off Hunter Biden laptop due to 2020 election, according to whistleblowers. FBI officials told agents not to investigate first son Hunter Biden's infamous laptop for months, vowing that the bureau was quote not going to change the outcome of the election again, according to whistleblower claims made public by uh, Wednesday by Senator Ron Johnson. These new allegations provide even more evidence of FBI corruption. And renew calls for you to take immediate steps to investigate the FBI's actions, regardless of the laptop. Johnson wrote in a letter to uh, Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz. According to the senator, individuals with knowledge had told his office that local FBI leadership had slow walked the laptop investigation after the computer was recovered from a Wilmington, Delaware repair shop in December of 2019. We got this story from the examiner. Jim Jordan says more FBI whistleblowers are coming forward every other week. Here's where it gets crazy. The FBI said not to investigate very serious crimes, which literally involved the man running. And their and and their, the excuse was, we don't want to interfere in election. It's like, no, you're literally interfering. You're, you're, you're pausing your job, not bringing criminal justice accountability to a corrupt family because the person's running for office. At the same time, right now, Donald Trump, who we all know is going to be running, is having his home raided by the FBI, and they're cheering for it. So very clearly, I just, can I just... What's the what's what's the word for you know when we've done uh, hundreds of shows, thousands of segments, and we just talk about political civil war, conflict, weaponization of the DOJ, all of that stuff, and like this is is certainly should be a a cold splash of water in the face of the average person, and if this doesn't do it for you like to somebody and they don't believe it, there there there's no there's no change in their minds. You actually have the FBI whistleblower saying we were told not to investigate. A Hunter Biden laptop, which includes Joe Biden. Meanwhile, Donald Trump currently right now is having his home rented. Okay, there you go. It's busted. What do we do? We're do, do what we do, which is, I'm glad you pointed out, doing nothing is a form of doing something. Often sitting by and watching evil take place is an active thing you do. So 
They certainly influence the election by not getting involved or by choosing to ignore it. That's a form of influence. Like it would be if, uh, let's say there's a house on fire and uh, it's got evidence of a crime in it and the firefighters are like, I'm not going to put that fire out because then somebody might find that evidence and use that against the person who lives there. So we'd rather just let the place burn down, I guess. That makes no sense. The FBI, they're law enforcement. They're supposed to say, we will stop criminal activity. This means Hunter Biden could have been actively engaged in criminal activity for a year. And the FBI was like, well, you know, but, uh, you know, Joe Biden's going to run for office, so we better just let him do it. There you go. Welcome to uh, what's 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 the word for it? What do we what do we call this era in American history? Is there a word we can use? I don't know. I mean, it's just such a like partisan play, right? We don't want to influence an election depending on who's running and also who we don't want to run. It's just so strange and open. I am surprised that the FBI uh, isn't. I, I was really surprised when the obvious answer after Mar-a-Lago is people being people being like, we don't know that we trust the FBI. Why are we letting this organization run this way? And the response was, no, you can't say that about this giant government institution. Like, it seems like it's clearly uh, biased to favor Democrats right now and to protect Democrats who might be uh, conducting or, or uh, acting illegally, but obviously part, uh, choosing to investigate Trump and other Republicans. It's just, how can you even trust the system when it's so obviously biased? But they don't care. No, they don't. I think what they're really trying to do is protect the liberal economic order, which is this global, you know, thing we've had since 1946, basically to prevent World War III. They and whether I don't think it, I don't personally think it's like a Democrat Republican thing. I think they're trying to hold up the old order. I I I, I disagree somewhat. I, I agree that there are powerful interests and entities that clearly want the liberal international economy to stay afloat, but. Uh, you know, people are chatting about Sam Harris as a good example of exactly what is going on here. Sam Harris, he said the quiet part out loud. Mm-hmm. He should, he, he, and then he tried walking it back because he realized what he was saying, what he was admitting to. He said he did, he would not care if Hunter Biden had the corpses of children in his basement. It's like you realize who's giving this guy money and who's funding this and like what that investigation would actually lead to, but they don't care. This is this is. They're psychopaths. I, I I don't know. Like, what's what's the mental uh, Trump derangement syndrome? Is 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 that the the uh, official diagnosis? You have people who are like Sam Harris, literally saying Hunter Biden could be abusing and murdering kids, but Trump once once had a university, and that's worse. He actually said those words. He said, "I wouldn't care if they were corpses of children in Hunter Biden's basement." What Trump did with Trump University was way worse than anything he could, Hunter Biden could have done, and it's like. Like yeah, the, the worst case scenario is Trump opened a fake university and ripped some people off. And that's worse than Joe Biden funneling U.S. taxpayer money to, to Ukraine and getting us involved in war and surrendering in Afghanistan. Among other things. Um, <laughs> among a few other things. I mean, so you asked, what is what is this this period in America's history called? It's the attempted, uh, hopefully attempted, color revolution of the United States. Mm-hmm. Weimar America? I mean, well, one wishes, actually. It's worse than that. It's it's exactly the same kind of thing they pulled in Ukraine a couple, you know, like 2014 or whatever. We're talking about a, a revolution. They, they are yeah. attempting to take over the country illegitimately, in I would, my opinion. I, yeah, and what I was saying uh, earlier is, uh, you know, I've talked about civil war, but I should revise that. Because civil war implies two factions competing. Right now, it just looks like it's a revolution. So you you know you look at Soviet Russia, you look at Germany. Those were those were not civil wars. The political conflict ultimately resulted in one faction just instantly winning without a civil war. So 
to be a bit more pessimistic, the result of everything that's going on would be revolution. But I, I do kind of feel like they're losing. So I do too. And so, I mean, another way that we could characterize this, since you have me here and I talk about Marxist theory all the time, is that what we're actually living through is kind of the, the logic of this essay from 1965 called repressive tolerance. I bring this up a million times. I brought it up here before. But the logic of repressive tolerance is that the left must be tolerated at any... This is actually, you can look up the essay itself. It's the thesis statement. We must extend tolerance to the left. We must not extend tolerance to the right. They say that this includes the level of violence. Marcuse, Herbert Marcuse is the one who wrote this in 65. He said, you know, it's never ethical to engage in violence, but since when does, when does ethics make history? And so he excuses violence, and he has a long paragraph where he mentions violence like 13 times. And he says there's a big difference between revolutionary violence and reactionary violence. And what the deal is, we must extend tolerance to the left and not to the right. And he says to the point with the right that what you're actually trying to stop, and this is a Hunter Biden story, right? What you're trying to stop is the thought from entering the potential reactionary's mind. He says that it involves not just censorship, but pre-censorship. You don't even want the right wing, which is everybody who's not a revolutionary on the left is the right wing, by the way. You don't even want the thought to enter their mind that would allow anything except left wing power to take control. And so we live in the logic of that essay. I would guess that our Department of Justice and our FBI have taken this horrifically totalitarian document from the 60s as an instruction manual. And what you see then is you see this uh, cracking down on President Trump, which, by the way, I was on a flight recently to California. I'm sitting next to a lifelong, she's in her you know, 70s, lifelong California liberal, married to a professor, the whole thing, right? So you're thinking some leftism. She starts talking about Trump. She's like, well, first, she asked me what I do. I say, I go around, I talk about Marxism. I study Marxism. She's like, well, I don't know anything about Marxism. And I'm thinking that's why you probably support it. Uh, yeah. But um, mm-hmm. She says that uh, she's asking me, do you think Trump's a dictator? I think he might have been an attempted dictator, this whole thing. And then she says, but this raid on his house was too far. So you talk about shaking people loose and freaking people out. She's like, this isn't what we do in America. Like, they shouldn't have raided his house. Hmm. And I was like, wow, that's something. Now, I heard a a podcast with, like, a literal neo-communist, one of the people that's in league with that literal neo-communist that AOC shared a megaphone with after uh, Samara Taylor or whatever her name is, after the Roe v. Wade decision. And um, this podcast was with an educator who's also an open communist, Henry Giroux, who, like, changed all of American education to be what it is today. And in that podcast, she's like, the very fact that they raided his house means that there must be evidence that he's done all this wrong stuff and i was like wow the dividing line in our society is people who think the institutions are still legitimate like sam harris and people who don't uh who who have questions at least about them well so i i often uh i eschew the left right paradigm mm-hmm. in fact that's what my wikipedia says about me and then uh, you know people argue but tim talks about the left and the right all the time and i'm like they're colloquial terms that don't really reference politics they reference as you, I, I think you put it well, revolutionary, and I don't, I don't think reactionary, to be completely honest, because um, there are reformers. Right, right. right. You know, with, with, the, with the, the, the leftist view, everybody except themselves is from, from as reactionaries as right. the right, and literally is like right-wing extremists, which, of course, we hear from our military, we hear from uh, yeah. the DOJ, et cetera. I often uh, say it's the those who are discerning and those who are not. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Simply put, there are people who will hear information and say, I'll check into that. And there are people who hear information and go, whoa. That's crazy. That, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> crazy. And so then you end up with um, Michael Brown. And they go, whoa, that's crazy. And then we go, what's the report say? Oh, the report says, hands up, don't you? It wasn't true. Then you get people who are like, Jesse Smollett, 
whoa. And then we're like, okay, that sounds nuts. Like right away when the story came out, we were like, dude, Trump supporters at 3 a.m. in sub in, in in freezing weather in Chicago in a work district, not a residential one, attacking a D-list celebrity. I really don't believe. I stayed in that hotel in January. It was like eight degrees. I had COVID. It was awesome. <laughs> That's great. It was no, sorry. It was like minus eight degrees. It was, Let me. No, nobody's getting attacked there. Let me give you a really good example, actually. And um, I want to I want to shout out to our, our good friend Vosh, actually. Oh, and um, that's Vush. only half Vosh. You know Vosh, right? Yeah, Vosh. Vosh. It's only half sarcastic. I do respect that he was willing to come on the show, though we disagree with him. But he tweeted, I delayed paying off my student loans just in case debt relief got passed. And now I find out you're not eligible if you're a famous YouTuber who makes $1 million a day, honestly. And he's obviously joking. So I responded with, OMG, this is exactly the left. Vosh is rich and wants free money. This is proof Biden is a communist. Mm -hmm. Very clearly, we are both just being silly. Yeah. But wow, the responses from people who instantly believed I was tongue. Like, there are people on the left who believed Vosh was being serious and they're going, he makes a million dollars a day. That's, that's and there amazing. are people responding to me and they're like, look <laughs> at these right wing grifters. Look what they're saying. And it's just like, that's it right there. Did you know if he gave a million dollars a day to people, then America could be, everybody could have a million dollars. That's right. He's the one stopping. You know, yeah. I, it's all Vush's fault. I know. You know what I love the most, though, is when someone says, like, they're like, what do they say? Um, Michael Bloomberg spent $500 million on the election. Yeah. There are 300 million people living in this country. He could have given everyone a million dollars. It's like, do your math again. <laughs> But, yeah, well, like millions a, a is a unit. You have 10 it. eggs and everybody could have eggs. It's, it's, millions is just a unit. Yep. It's simple. And so this is, you know, to, so to go back to your point, you know, you're mentioning it's the people who trust the institutions, people who don't. It's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's all part of it. Um, I refer to it as a cult. It is a cult. It's a hundred percent a cult. I would love to talk about how like, not just religious, but cultish uh, this whole like, whether we want to deal with woke, whether we want to deal with like this kind of like leftist derangement cult, like Sam Harris has, I would guess, I don't know. I've, I've been out with him, but once, but I, I, I can't guess his mind, but I would suppose he has a group of people to whom he's very interested in maintaining their esteem. Yeah. And there are, let me tell you, as you would also be able to tell people, there are certain things that you just can't espouse. And then before people decide they don't like you anymore, like people just, they think you've lost your mind. They think, that you've uh, that you're a terrible person. They disassociate from you, and but that's mostly on the left. Like it's it a is, it, it is just on the right for sure. A little bit, yeah. but I mean, it's the exception. How did one get here? <laughs> is right. The, yeah. So you know, I've it's been cut off. I've been I've been canceled from all kinds of people. People I thought were friends. You know, all sorts of stuff. Because well, what did I do? I said that maybe Trump is an all right candidate for Trump's president not that bad. maybe orange man good you know who knows <laughs> yeah. maybe making america great again is a good idea because it's kind of a uh, on the descent right now if we don't kind of curb some of these things i i was uh you know i i've been talking about music lately because we're releasing this song and uh it's fresh in my mind so for those that are wondering it's like why is tim bringing it up again well it's like it's in my mind we're working on this project and uh, i tweeted this today like there are people who are scared to th say things they like that's weird to me so Nickelback is a really good example um, because everybody jokes about how awful Nickelback is. It's like, dude, they have 10, six top 10. Oh, I'm sorry. They have six top tens on Billboard Hot 100 and they have one Billboard Hot 100 number one for four weeks for one month. They had a song on the number, the number one song. Like people clearly like Nickelback. Yeah. But it became a meme where it was like you weren't cool if you admitted to liking them. Well, that's because they went huge. 
-hmm. Maybe, but I'll say this, you know, so I was like, people clearly like them. Not really my jam. I've never been like a fan of them, but I, but they did a cover of Devil Went Down to Georgia, which is mind-blowingly good. It's one of the best covers of the song I've ever heard. The guitar playing is crazy. The vocals are fantastic. They cut the chorus out though. And I'm like, "Mm, come on, man, Charlie, you know, Charlie Daniels band, it's a classic song, but it was really, really good. It's amazing. I got no problem saying that. And there are people tweeting at me being like, this explains it. Aha, uh-huh. he admits it. And I'm like, do you think I care? I genuinely enjoy that song. I will tell you that. Yeah. I'm not worried about you not liking me because you do nothing for my life. There's a term for this. What is it? It's preference falsification. Mm. It's that in order to appear socially acceptable, you falsify your actual preferences. Yeah. That you, you like a Nickelback cover or song or band period but you know that the people you're talking to will think you're not cool if you do that and so you falsify your preferences as that's, a, that's as, crazy as a social maneuver that's crazy to and me. i actually think that people like sam harris falsified their preferences or maybe they didn't but maybe they just got sucked in by the psyops but a lot of people falsified their preferences about trump to the point where they believed it mm-hmm. like it drove them if you live in crazy town for long enough you go crazy i mentioned this the other day a couple times a video of a woman asking three women what is a woman and um, I, I think it was Matt Walsh who responded, these women all clearly know what a woman is, but they're trying to reconcile the definition with what they're allowed to say. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so it's like def- definition falsification or something. Um, a lot of people miss, by the way, the big point of what is a woman. Uh, a lot of people don't understand what that's about. And just to point out, Kentonji Brown Jackson actually told us when Marsha Blackburn caught her out, said, what is a woman? She said, oh, I don't know. Do I look like a biologist or whatever? What she said exactly about invoking an expert. What she said is, I can't answer that question without asking an expert. Yeah. In other words, we can't answer simple questions about reality without an expert telling us what the right answer is. And that's scary as hell, because that's super power grab territory. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly what they are are doing by by undermining definitions, by undermining people's ability to say what's real and, and not real or you know, use words and have them mean things. You mentioned this woman on the plane, right? You're saying? Yeah. And she said the raid on Trump went too far. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's a point where, you know, Sam Harris, let, let me slow, let me slow down. Go to Sam Harris. He's got the most severe TDS I have ever seen. That woman does not. She's probably a normal person and just passively absorbs information and thinks Trump is bad because she's just hearing it. But then when she hears something crosses the line, she made up her mind. That's too much for me. Sam Harris told us there could be corpses of children in the basement of Hunter Biden. He wouldn't care. And he like, compared oh. him to an asteroid that's going to destroy the Earth. Then the, like the next sentence, that's that's lunacy. Like like not not only is that just on its face laughably crazy, but even if Trump really was Hitler and like the worst dictator possible, would never amount to an asteroid smashing into earth and wiping out all life as we know it yeah like bad dictator bad we deal with bad dictator certainly it's not an asteroid coming to wipe out the planet rip through its core and blow it up he's speaking in hyperbole for sure i mentioned to you it seems like he has like either or he needs friends or he's got a group of insulated friends and he's in an echo chamber and he needs like people to listen to him and tell him when he's being an idiot Sam, you went too far. That way, you know, I know you were being hyperbolic when you said that stuff. I, I, hyperbolic he tried is like, he would have exa- cared if Hunter had kids in his basement. Of course, he would. No, but hyper- I disagree. being hyperbolic is like exaggerating something to prove a point. Whereas, like, that was a really strange thing to just state. Like, I don't think that qualifies as hyperbole because I think he's being honest. What was happening you know, is he you- said, I wouldn't have cared if, if Hunter had. Uh, dead children in his basement, I would not have cared in brackets as much uh, or I wouldn't have cared 
I, I think it's simpler than that. In brackets. I, I see what you're saying, but I think it's simpler. I think it's, you mentioned he's got, a, he's got a group of people he's trying to pander to. He's doing this public interview. He wants them to hear it, whoever they are. And so he has to keep one-upping his position. He has to be bigger, stronger, better. And in this line of thinking, it's Trump is bad. We must stop Trump by any means necessary. In order to pander to those people, he has to constantly expand upon his position. Now he's at the point where he's like, dead kids don't care. I'm just going to stop Trump. He's an asshole. It's kind of like how incrementally the Nazis started. First, they didn't like Jews. Then they started taking their businesses away. Then they started shipping them out. Then they started shipping them to camps. And they started killing them. Like how it incrementally got worse and worse. So the same with Sam's mind seems to have incrementally, according to what now, you're saying. Imagine people getting in politics crazy. or the FBI doing that. And this is the story we have. The FBI going like, well, we can't go after Hunter. Oh, but Donald Trump, he had documents. Even though he has, you know, you know like unilateral declassification powers. Yeah, you said Did something. Did you see the thing that, he, that they, they put out that huge list of items? And one of the things that was contraband was, a, was a, I guess, an illegal cocktail napkin from the White House. <laughs> they had a cocktail but didn't napkin. the Clintons, like, move furniture out of the White House? Like, this right. was, like, one of the famous things. They had to return stuff to the residents. They had moved stuff out. Like I don't know. We're I, not supposed to know anything about what Oh, sorry. Like. Thanks for checking out this segment from the TimCast <laughs> IRL podcast. Anyways, that's that segment. <laughs> they kind of go off the rails on some other things as well. But, you know, kind of the same part that the FBI is hiding things and they're doing it out in the open. I mean, and they don't seem to really care, but there is a new story just recently of one of the guys that was spearheading. Uh, I think it was the Russia collusion hoax. He decided that, uh, you know, after this, he's going to, he claims retire, but he resigned. And, uh, I don't know if anything will ever happen to this guy. Because it seems like the intelligent community. Tell not intelligent, intelligence. <laughs> ah, boy. <laughs> it's been a long day already. Good thing it's Friday. Anyways, uh, the intelligence community will still be here forever. And I think they just get to a point in their careers. They feel like they're pretty much invincible. And if your buddies high up in the FBI, you know, had anything to do with this, or they're just going to, you know, probably not do anything about it, even if you were totally corrupt, it'll just get forgot about in a while because the news will be, oh, squirrel, look over there. Uh, it's chasing an acorn. <laughs> and everybody will just kind of chase the acorn and forget all about it. So, with that, we're coming up here on another break, and we'll be right back. Okay, so here we are. A story about that FBI official. Uh, so, this is an Epic Times story again. FBI official accused of blocking probe into Hunter Biden says he retired Oh, so I, I'm sorry. I misspoke earlier. I thought it was the Russian collusion thing. But this guy is the one accused of blocking the probe into Hunter Biden. Says he retired, wasn't fired. And it goes on. An FBI official who has been accused of blocking an investigation into President Joe Biden's son stepped down this month. Lawyers representing the official, con, uh, the official confirmed to the Epic Times on August 31st. Timothy Thibault. I guess that's how you say it. Voluntarily retired and was not fired, not forced to retire, and not asked to retire. 
Lawyers with Morrison and Forster's LLP said in an emailed statement. Thibault, an assistant special agent in charge at the FBI's Washington field office, was escorted out of the office on August 26th, the Washington Times reported. Thibault was walked out of the FBI, CBS reported. Both outlets cited anonymous officials. Ah, that's a hate freaking one there. Oh, it's an anonymous source. It's like, well, it's, if they're anonymous, then it's basically not worth using them as a source. <laughs> Uh, Thibault turned in his security badge and walked with two longtime special agent friends through the field office to finish processing his paperwork. Thibault's lawyer said he walked out of the building by himself. Claims to the contrary are false. Thibault was eligible for retirement after working for over 30 years for the government, and he informed his bosses about a month before his retirement about his intention to retire, his lawyers say. The FBI declined to comment. So, okay, if this guy has been in the FBI for 30 years, he definitely has lived through many presidents in the White House. And that's where some of the problem is coming from some of these upper people. Uh, Mary Mark, oh, Mark Little, a U.S. prosecutor for nearly 17 years and a White House lawyer during the Trump administration, offered praise for Thibault in a statement released by the former officials' counsel. Quote, Agent Thibault spent his career rooting out corruption with integrity and honesty. I am proud to have worked with him and to call him my friend and trusted colleague. Little, now in private practice, said, Thibault has come under fire in recent months after Senator Chuck Grassley, the top Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee, raised concerns about his social media posts, including one that described former President Donald Trump as a psychologically broken, embittered, and deeply unhappy man. Whistleblowers from within the Bureau later told Grassley that the FBI gained information in 2020 about criminal, financial, and related activity carried out by Hunter Biden, the son of then-presidential candidate Joe Biden. The FBI opened an assessment before the 2020 election, but a team from the FBI headquarters used the assessment to improperly discredit negative Hunter Biden information as disinformation and caused the Bureau's investigation on Hunter Biden to cease. Grassley told FBI Director, Director Christopher Wray and Attorney General Merrick Garland, citing the whistleblowers. When additional derogatory information about Hunter Biden came to light, Thibault allegedly ordered the matter closed without providing a valid reason as required by FBI, Grassley said. FBI officials, including Thibault, then allegedly tried to improperly mark the matter in FBI systems so that it could not be opened in the future. False Allegations Thibault's lawyers, who have been retained on a pro bono basis, Oh, well, they're just such good people that, you know, they got to just do it pro bono. Uh, say Thibault believes he did not violate the Hatch Act with his social media posts. The alleged violations of the law are being investigated by the Office of Special Counsel, the lawyers revealed. Mr. Thibault is cooperating with that investigation, urges the office to complete its review, and expects to be fully exonerated, they said. Well, yeah, all of his buddies are in there freaking shredding papers as we speak. No. <laughs> Uh, regarding claims that Thibault took certain actions for partisan reasons, the lawyer said Thibault welcomes any investigation of these false allegations regardless of his retirement. He firmly believes that an investigation will conclude that his supervision, leadership, and decision-making were not impacted by political bias 
or partisanship of any kind. He is confident that all of his decisions were consistent with the FBI's highest standards for ethics and integrity, they said. Ray, a Trump appointee, said earlier in August that the FBI is investigating Hunter Biden with the U.S. Attorney for the District of Delaware. He said the investigation is being run out of the Bureau's Baltimore field office, which is in Maryland. Thibault did not supervise the investigation into Hunter Biden, the former official's lawyer said, and Thibault was not involved in any decisions related to any laptop that may be at issue in that investigation, and he did not seek to close the investigation. Thibault was not in, uh, was also not involved in the search warrant the agents executed at Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort this month, according to the lawyers. Grassley, upon hearing reports that Thibault was no longer with the FBI, said in a statement that Thibault's blatant partisanship undermined the work and reputation of the FBI and said that the effort to revive the FBI's credibility can't stop with his exit. So, I don't really know what to believe here. <laughs> um, I guess until more information comes out, that one I guess still kind of up in the air on his involvement. Uh, but, you know, I mean, these people are pretty good at getting away with a lot of crap, so it's hard to really say what's going on there. Um, there was one more exclusive uh, story here from the Epic Times. It says, Epps showed son... How to use a tourniquet in case of January 6th bomb attack near the Capitol, FBI records show. This was an August 22nd, updated August 25th. Um, Ray Epps Sr. was so concerned about major violence or terrorism in Washington on January 6th that he showed his son and a friend how to use a tourniquet in the event of a bomb explosion or other disaster, according to FBI records obtained by the Epic Times. Why was he so... I mean, what was he even thinking that there was going to be bombs and stuff? What would what what factors would have set his mind into that thing that there was going to be bombs unless he had some kind of knowledge of somebody talking about it? And if he did know that, why did he not report that to the FBI? I mean, it was just a weird hunch that he had or, you know, what's going on here? Um, during an interview with two FBI agents in Utah, Epps' son, James Ray Epps Jr., 38, said the sobering talk from his father came as the trio was preparing to head to the Ellipse to hear President Donald Trump speak on January 6th. Quote, there's going to be a lot of people there, and there's going to be people that want to hurt people, Epps Jr. cited his father as saying. If there's people that want to hurt people, there's going to be people that get hurt. If there's something that happens, you guys need to know that you need to help each other. And he grabs the gauze and he's, you know, he's a military man. And he pulled out the tourniquets and says, I want to show you guys how to use this. If something happens, you got to go. You got to help other people. Epps Jr. recounted that conversation in a 40 minute FBI interview on April 13th. According to an audio recording of the meeting obtained by the Epic Times, the recording is part of a collection of Epps related material obtained by the newspaper, including FBI interview summaries, FBI audio recordings, transcripts, videos, and photographs. Epps Senior 61 has been at the center of a storm of controversy. Oh, crap, what just happened? I hit something here. Hold on. Uh, a storm of controversy and speculation since June of 2021, when Revolver News profiled him as a provocateur who encouraged people to go into the Capitol. He was never arrested or charged. 
this photo was originally, I mean, can you imagine if that was realistically anybody else, anybody else that was sitting there saying all that stuff was thrown up on the FBI? I mean, there was, I don't know the other people that have been charged with different things, what they did exactly. I haven't really dove into that part of it. But some of them that are still being held in jail that were arrested from that. I mean, they had hundreds of people that arrested. Most of them, uh, you know, were kind of just slap on the hand, small fines, whatever, you know. But there have been some that have been held on to for quite some time. Now, why the reason of that is nobody really knows because all this stuff can be sealed by the Capitol Police and they don't have to disclose anything. So, this photo was originally number 16 on the FBI January 6th most wanted page, but was later scrubbed from the site without explanation, which is what we already knew from the last article. Uh, records obtained by the time show that Epps Sr. believed there would be a bomb attack on a side street, which prompted him to bring a first aid kit when he traveled to the city from Arizona. Epps Sr. told FBI agents on March 2021 that he came only to Washington on January 6th because he wanted to look after his son, who decided to make the trip from his home in Utah with a friend. Quote, he's my blood. I didn't want anything to happen to him, Epps Sr. told the FBI on March 3rd, according to an audio recording of the interview. So my wife and I decided that I should probably go. So as the, at the last minute, we bought a ticket and I went. Epps Jr. said before they left their hotel in the early morning of January 6th, his father got out his first aid kit and told them that they should be prepared to lend assistance that day. Uh, quote, he's setting us up to help if there's a bomb or something, you know. That's normally where it would happen, right? In those big groups of people, Epps Jr. said before quoting his father. Uh, and at that point, the police and military aren't going to be able to help each other, help you out very quickly. So you got to start helping other people. So it wasn't like other people may think he tried to set something up, right? But he's there to help, and he tried to teach us how to help others. Reached by the Epic Times on August 19th for comment about his FBI interview, Epps Jr. said, I've answered all the questions that were asked of me, so I'm good. Epps Sr. told FBI agents in Phoenix that in the weeks leading up to January 6th that he started getting a bad feeling that calamity could strike. I was afraid they were going to set off an explosion on one of the side streets, he said, according to a recording of the interview. So we tried to stay in the middle, tried to get there early, tried to stay away from the sides, and if something like that happened, I had a first aid kit I could help out. FBI agents didn't press up Sr. or his son for more details on the bomb fears, nor did they ask about the two alleged pipe bombs found outside the Republican and Democrat Party headquarters, east, each just blocks from the Capitol. The Republican National Committee pipe bomb was placed near the corner of the Capitol bill. Oh, yeah, we're pretty much... Um, the memory, my memory is not that good. <laughs> Epps Jr.'s story differed in some areas from what his father told the FBI six weeks earlier. The son said he and a friend arrived in Washington first, arriving on January 4th because he had a week-long hotel deal, deal. He initially hung out until my dad got there. I think he got there the next day or something, he said. Epps Sr. told agents that he arrived before his son on January 4th. So which one is it then? Well, yeah, he got there later, so I rented a car, and I went out to get something to eat. Couldn't find anything to eat. DC's a place. So I turned around, came back, and then picked them up, and then we went to the hotel. The younger reps told agents that his memory is not that good. 
So I don't want anything used against me if you find something out, Epps Jr. said, but we had the hotel room because it came with our package. And we just, uh, we asked the hotel to take him into in the same room because there was no hotels because he was last minute, kind of made that decision to go. On the night of January 5th, he said he called his father at the hotel because some flights had broke or some fights had broken out in the crowds gathered at Black Lives Matter Plaza in downtown Washington. Uh, so he was there to kind of calm it down. I kind of stayed in the back because I am young and have five little kids, so I just observed. Epps Jr. said he doesn't have as many responsibilities, so he gets up in there and tries to quiet people down and teach them teach him what we're there for. Um to go into the Capitol. I don't know if that's de-escalating the situation. It seems to me like it's exacerbating it a little more, but, uh, you know, anyways. Epps Sr. shouted to the crowd, tomorrow we need to go into the Capitol, into the Capitol, peacefully. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a law that's called inciting violence, which this is right on the edge of leaning into that. Uh, the red, uh, yeah, the crowd started chanting fed, fed, fed. He got into an animated discussion with Tim Goinet, known on social media as Baked Alaska. Gionette was charged by federal prosecutors for being in the Capitol. He pleaded guilty to one misdemeanor count on July 22nd and will be sentenced on January 12th of 2023. Good grief. There's another problem with our, uh, stupid system these days. That's not what it's about, Epps Sr. told Gynette. It's about the Constitution. We're here to defend the Constitution. You're losing focus because you're fighting with me, he told the FBA that Gynette was a major instigator in the crowd on January 5th. So they got out and they tried to instigate this stuff and they tried to bring other people in on it, trying to get them going, Epps Sr. said, and then they film it. They cut them out and they get famous because they know he's a a bum. (laughs) He said Gannett was one of the main ones that was trying to instigate with the police, trying to get it going. Gannett was right in their face, Epps Sr. said, and I kept trying to tell him, hey, that's not what it's about. The Epic Times contacted Gannett's lawyer for a reaction to Epps Sr.'s comments, but didn't receive a reply by press time. In one video, Epps Sr. told podcaster Villain Report that people need to learn their family history and the sacrifices their forebears made for freedom. My ancestors came here in the 1600s, Francis and Louis Epps. He said the Apomatox Manor was founded then. I probably butchered that name. Uh, That's where the peace treaty was signed for the Civil War. That stayed in my family until 1979. This country means something to me. It means something to everybody here. If everybody does their history, they'll find those kinds of people in their history. We owe it to them to stay free. We owe it to their sacrifices, all the things they did for us to be free. That's what it's about. So, bat and a hammer. Epps Jr. and his friend got separated from his father at the Ellipse during Trump's speech. He said he noticed some odd things among members of the crowd around the Ellipse. Quote, there'd be people walking around just every once in a while. You get a glimpse of a hammer or a bat in a backpack, and it's like, what is going on? He said, like, there's men, women, and children here. We're not here for that, so that was awkward. (laughs) 
They followed crowds that left the speech to walk to the Capitol. A man first approached the east side but found no protesters and a long temporary police barricade. Epps Jr. said they noticed a group of fully dressed civilians wearing combat gear and they had little orange flags on little markers so they probably could tell each other apart, Epps Jr. said. I remember looking over like, I'm like, hey, that does not look like they're part of our group or they kind of look odd, you know, I don't know what they're up to. Probably nothing good. When they walked over to the west side, Epps Jr. said there were 3,000 to 4,000 people already there. He said he helped some older people climb over a half-height stone wall, but was concerned that the large crowd was penned in between the wall and the police line far ahead. We noticed that there was a line of people in the front that weren't there to be gentle at all, and they're kind of fighting with the police. Holy cow, what did we walk into, Epps Jr. said. He said he... He saw his father up at the police line facing the crowd and trying to keep protesters from lashing out at police. I know what he's doing, Epps Jr. said. He's walking up and down trying to get people to calm down like, hey, you've gone far enough. This is what you came here for. Don't. These police officers are on our side. You know, just I can hear him. Uh... This isn't going to look good. However, from a distance, the optics might present the wrong impression, Epps Jr. said. I sat there and I thought, man, Dad, this isn't going to look good if somebody takes a picture, he said. Epps Jr. said the front row of agitators was pulling the bike rack barricades from police and then throwing them back into the crowd. When rubber bullets began to fly and tear gas made his way back to where he was, he said he decided it was time to leave. I felt like I was dying there for a moment. Epps Jr. said, and so I just helped as long as I could, and I thought, I gotta get out of here, I can't keep doing this. He said he saw his father was lending aid to a man who collapsed from a seizure. Epps Sr. eventually helped carry the man off the Capitol property so he could get medical help. Epps Sr. said he was headed away from the Capitol because of the tear gas when he heard a call in the crowd for a medic. He and another man came upon a protester unconscious on the ground. I was taking the guy's pulse. It was very rapid, but he hadn't. He he didn't breathe far for almost two minutes. Epps Senior told the FBI. So we were getting ready to do CPR, and they found out he was a diabetic. And I don't know, but I think maybe he went down because of the gas, the CS. And I don't know if his body wouldn't let him breathe, but he was out, and he was being trampled at one point. So we got him up, and we started taking him out and telling people, "Hey, gangway, uh, we're trying to get through." Video evidence from the west side backs up stories the men told about Epps Sr. trying to de-escalate problems when protesters became instigators at the police line. Several times he confronted agitators and told them to back off or step back from the police line. Now doesn't that kind of contradict, though, him saying, we need to go into the Capitol? I mean, unless there's something here I'm not piecing together. It's not making a whole lot of sense with the stories and the video evidence of what he was saying. Um, but you know, it kind of just goes over a lot of the same stuff over and over again, pretty much what we had already talked about. Um, and so I think there's another aspect of this too, because we know that Donald Trump authorized like 20 or 30,000 troops to be there at the Capitol while this, you know, transition was going on. So... Where was the breakdown? Who denied that request to get the National Guard there? Because a lot of videos of showing of that place when all this was all going down on different sides is there was no Capitol Police or anything anywhere around them barricades. It was just, you know, bike, pipe, rack type barricades. 
that essentially did nothing. <laughs> um, so anyways, we're going to get back into a story, something about, uh, I think somebody's been kind of asking questions about Nancy Pelosi's role since she was the House Speaker and still is the House Speaker and what her role was in uh, either obstructing or whatever her role was in not getting the troops there. And we'll be back with that in just a moment. All right, so I think we all kind of understand what's going on at the FBI these days. And unfortunately, it gives all the good ones a bad reputation. And hopefully, all we can say out of all of this is hopefully all the good ones, I know it risks a lot for them to be a whistleblower and come out these days, you know, because if you're you're backing up the the Democrats, they will, you know, protect you. But if you're coming out against them, they will destroy you. And I think that could be, I mean, that's a legitimate fear of anybody that's wanting to come out and whistleblow against any of this stuff that's going on in the FBI to have any hope of cleaning it up, if that's even going to be a thing, I don't know. But to go off in a little bit different direction here, it's another uh, little Tim Cast podcast episode uh, titled Lindsey Graham predicts the right wing, uh, the, oh, sorry, the right will riot if Trump is criminally charged. Um, I don't know. That's kind of hard to say. I think you'll have small factions probably. I don't know if you'd really get a massive amount of people rioting. I mean, I could be wrong on that. Maybe they're, they're really that far in, deep into it. I don't know. Um, I think just for the most part, the people on the right are a lot more, uh, I don't know, have a lot more to lose, I guess. I don't even know if that's really the right term to use. But, you know, I don't go to these rallies and stuff like that because I got a job and I got a life. I got a family. I got to support them. I don't have, I'm not getting paid to go to these uh, protests and all the other stuff that thousands of people at any given time seem to be able to show up to. Unless they're getting paid by someone else to be there. Now, see, I'm not getting paid to go to any of these things, so I don't go to them because I got to earn a living. <laughs> uh, anyways, here's this one. Maybe. I'm not. In the streets if Trump is indicted. Boy. Senator Lindsey Graham was has warned. There'll be riots in the street if Trump is indicted. A Republican South Carolina senator made the remarks during an appearance on Fox News' Sunday night in America over the weekend, echoing Trump's recent claim that America is now a lawless country. Graham said there is no law when it comes to taking down the former president. Quote, most Republicans, including, what do you say, including me, as a typo in there, TimCast.com, believe when it comes to Trump, there is no law. It's all about getting him. And I'll say this. If there is a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information and the, after the Clinton debacle, there will be riots in the streets. I completely disagree. I, I 100% disagree. Wow. The right doesn't riot. No, we would never. I mean, there's been a few instances. I mean, January 6th, for instance, was pretty bad. But it's like, they just don't. Uh, I, I remember I was at Trump Tower and there were people protesting it. And there was a guy who was, you know, was asking questions about what's going on. And they said he was, a, and then he was like, well, I'm a Trump supporter, but you know, I don't know. And then I was like, why don't you guys come out and like voice your support? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, could, I, could, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Well, there you go. 
the end result of refusing to speak your mind is being obliterated from culture and from mainstream society. The, your, your inability to stand up and support the things you like or speak out in support of any, anything related to your values will be the end of your values. Yeah, well, they know this, right? Like, I mean, that, I think that was a big part in why Joe Biden won is that people didn't want riots again. I heard that from many of my friends, many of my liberal friends. They were like, yeah, I actually don't agree with what a lot of Joe says. I actually like Trump's fiscal policy or I like Trump for whatever reason, but I don't want riots. I don't want my city to burn down. You know, they lived in Chicago or they lived in Florida. They lived in these different cities around the country. People just didn't want the riots. Um, they were fed up with it. And I think the the media knowing this, the government, the people knowing this, is even maybe part in you know why they why they raided his home or why they take this this massive action against the president because they know they'll they'll get away with it. I'm so disappointed that he didn't send in the National Guard night too, man. I'll talk about it over and over again when it comes up, but like what a failure of leadership to allow those riots to absolutely. Burn. I don't, I'm not a big fan of Lindsey Graham. I don't like his alcoholism. I think he's an alcohol personally. I think he's an alcoholic when I look in his eyes. What does that have to do with it? <laughs> but uh, well, okay. Personal feelings aside, Lindsey, I don't know if you're an alcoholic or if you struggle with alcoholism. I'm sorry. Hope you can overcome that. But uh, you when know, you say like, if this happens, there will be riots. That's not a form of incitement, but it kind of sounds like you're telling people no. to go riot if it happens. So watch your tone. You know, look, Secondly, he's not wrong about what he's saying about the, the Biden crap. So look, 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 look. The Daily Wire recently hired a Disney executive and people started going, ragging on him for it. And I'm just like, the CEO of this company goes to church on Sunday, guys. Yeah. The Disney guy now works for him. Why are you why are you ragging on the Daily Wire over this? Why are people saying you better explain this? Yeah, it's called winning. It's called taking over the industry and taking over the culture. That's that, that's a that's a problem, I think. You know, purity tests. It is what it is. But the left is so obedient to their cult, they have a major advantage over the culture war right. And that the culture war right will will bicker. The left will devour each other, but the individualists on the right are more defined and willing to just say what I they want to say. I think what's happening is this left idea, this cultism is like a communist cultism kind of thing. And there's so much of the world is communist in China and in at least a lot of the Russian holdover states have communist threads throughout, whether or not they're overtly communist. So it's for the first time in human history is bleeding through the Internet into American culture. Like we didn't have the Internet before. It wasn't so pervasive and permeable. And so we're seeing this insane bubble of communist behavior it's crazy it's not american it's not normal in the united states they, they thought the fbi was went after this for like 60 years or something 50 years they were trying to stop the communist overthrow i don't know yeah, it turns the out they were on communist communist because yeah. it's like it's more than just that like the chinese culture the ccp it's not real communist I mean, it's like an evolution a new form of technocratic you know oversight that's not a just but there are communist aspects to it i think i think the, the solution to a lot of this stuff is ignore the tribes i think the left is the cultier side but the right has their issues sure but it's the exception not the rule i think the issue is just compete in the space fund and grow and and assert yourself in these spaces which is what we've been trying to do it's why we we're, we're not launching overtly political stuff so we're not we're not launching stuff to try and pander to trump supporters or liberals or whatever we're trying to make things that'll be entertaining enough for regular people well, I think, you know, this is something that the left gets really right and they're really good at is they have their allies and they clearly define their enemies and they let, you know, people in the Democratic Party, they'll slip up, they'll make a mistake, but they won't banish them. Right. And the right will keeps thinking that they're going to win brownie points for taking the high road 
right? The staffer says something that's a little bit uncouth and then they vanish. Then they say, well, we're not racist. Well, we're not sexist. It's like, they're already calling you that. You're not going to win brownie points for taking the high road. And again, this is what the left does really well. It's what, why I said earlier, it's their superpower. Their cult mentality is their superpower is they can mess up. They can do actually racist things like Katie Hobb, but do they bring that up? Do they call it her racism? No, because they know that Katie Hobbs is her or, or their ally. They will they will help her to get through that, and they they don't care because they have their allies and they have their enemies, and the right needs to get this through their heads, or they're going to continue losing. Yeah, it's not a time for people to sit still and just take whatever you the high road to turn the other cheek to look the other way. It's not the time to do that. It's a time to create stuff, to create phenomenal, addictive art that is so good. We're on a video game, you know. I don't know. It, it's really hard work. Uh, Andrew, our game, game designer, is doing an incredible job. It's real fun. Seamus is doing the animations and stuff. And uh, this is not, I guess, the, I, 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 we haven't released a lot of information about the game. We've shown, like, clips of it and stuff. Man, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's relatively political, but it's not, the game itself is just a video game. We're going to be uh, able to play as you, Tim? With little uh, customizable well, actually, different color beanies? No, but we, we, like, I think Ian's going to be in it, actually. we got to pay 99 cents to get the skin. No, I don't know about DLC that. Action. I, think, I think you're going to end up being <laughs> like a special action. character or something. Like you sell rocks or something. Oh, like that's that. a good idea. Yeah, I'll be the merchant. Hey, man. Yeah, that's and, something the left also does really well. They're they're the creatives. They're making movies. They're making the art. But they're losing it. And now is the opportunity. That, that's why it's yeah. like... Well, thanks to people like you, right? Putting out your, your songs and, you know, driving traffic. And like you said, rejecting the mainstream culture, rejecting the, the mainstream media. And this... It is great. It has been one of the most stressful things ever doing all this work to launch music more so than like, I've been playing music since I was, since I was like seven, but I didn't expect any of this stuff to start happening. Like a million views. I was just like, uh, okay. Like we, we left the show on Friday and like, oh, you're number one in alt rock on iTunes. And I was like, holy crap. And then the, the, these are the, the attacks we started getting have been unrelenting. You know, I'm going to stop using the term attack when it comes to verbal crap. Well, okay. The 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 uh, what's the what's the word we're looking for then? Complaints. It's not. They're not legitimate. Complaint. Just why won't you call it an attack? Because it's it's softening the term attack and then making street violence less uh, threatening. I don't think think so. Look, the goal is to inflict. It's it's then it's harassment. I guess if the goal is to inflict emotional harm, but what I see here is, you know, we 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 launched pop culture crisis. It's 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 growing really really well for a show that's only you know like half a year old. 40,000 subs, getting thousands of, of, of views in their in their episodes. Uh, they, 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 Brett and Mary are just doing an amazing job. And it's talking about pop culture. It's not political. And that's the point. It's like we want to just meet people where they are and produce content for them and then create a sphere of influence. No hate. No one came after us over this. Tales from the Inverted World, we got actually some you know positive. It's true crime. But then we put out a song that just took off like crazy. And all of a sudden, we have all of these left pundits just attacking us relentlessly. And I think it's because this is this is the move to make. Mm-hmm. The, the left took the arts over. They use the arts to influence children. They want the kids to grow up to be like them. Controlling movies, controlling superheroes, controlling TV shows. You can't turn on a show without getting some woke garbage message now. And that's what they're trying to instill in your kids. If they can't get them in the schools, they're going to get them on the TVs. And then parents who don't know better put their iPad in front of their kids and the kids now just listening to all the stuff. So what happens when you get a Daily Wire producing movies? Daily Wire bought Hyperions, which was just a Hollywood movie. And they got really angry. There was that viral threat. This is exactly the point. 
where they were like, I watched this movie and then I realized it was a Daily Wire movie and I was like, oh no, what, what was I promoting? I, and I deleted it. Remember that? What were they shouting out? I forget, but I remember this lady wrote this ridiculous article about how she oh, actually enjoyed a Daily Wire movie and she was really regretful because she had tweeted positive. Run, hype, fight. It. Run, 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 hype, fight. Is that, is that what it's called? Run, yeah, Hype Fight? Yeah, that's the movie. So, yeah, yeah. so they, they tweeted that they watched Run, Hype Fight, and it was really good, and they told people to watch it. And then people were like, that's the Daily Wire. And they went, oh, no. Oh, I'm so sorry. Ben Shapiro walked into our podcast conference. I tell you this. They're not scared of you doing a show and being like, politics, politics, because they know how to control you. They know how to say you're a fascist and then scare people away from talking to you. But when you make a movie that's really good, that they like, oh, no. Now you're going to start influencing people. Now you're going to start winning friends and influencing people. And that's how they lose the culture war. It's remarkable to me that the right is so resistant in many ways, not everybody, to making culture in order to win a culture war. Andrew Breitbart said this, what was, what was this now, like 14 years ago, that, that politics is downstream from culture. Every person on the right should be focused on art. Politics, of course. You know, Tom McDonald is probably one of the greatest musicians of our generation because he's, he's hitting powerful messages. He's, he's, he's speaking to tens of millions of people, and boy, are they pissed about it. This is what really grinds their gears and freaks them out. This is what, this is what wins, not writing. When you're violent, they know how to control you. They know that normal people get scared of the violence. They can show that on TV screens all year and blame Donald Trump for it. But you know they can't do anything about? A song called FJB hitting number one. Mm. A song called Fake Woke hitting number one. The Daily Wire putting out eight political movies that people oh, enjoy. Yeah. That is freaking them out. These people are pathetic, dude. Like, they're literally pathetic. I mean, I think they think that they're strong-minded. I think they think that they have some serious rooted values. But in reality, it's like you you are so weak-minded that you have no idea. I mean, the Bible makes it clear that, you know, the fear of man is a snare. But what that means is you live your life afraid of the opinions of people of what people think about you, or what people are saying about you. Oh, the mob over there is going to think I look like this if I listen to Tim Pool. I actually like this song. I'm not actually going to stop listening to Tim Pool because I found out that he's an alt-right whatever. I'm just going to do it in secret. Like, uh, imagine being so pathetic, so pathetic that you can't be yourself. You can't be yourself out in the open. You can actually like what you actually like because it's so politically polarized. Imagine being so pathetic that you cannot stand your ground and just be yourself. You're an NPC. You're a robot. You're controlled. You're controlled by the mob. You don't have an opinion for yourself. You're told what to believe. You're told what to believe by pressure and through fear. There's you may so not even really believe though. it. You may not even really believe it, but you just know that, oh, someone on TikTok believed it and they got canceled. I don't ever want to be that. Well, case, you, case, case people in... like that are pathetic and they're losers. Well, this is, this is the thing, too. Like what we're saying about Nickelback. It's like, dude, you can rag on Nickelback all day and all day and night, fine, whatever. But like to deny objectively, they scored a four week streak at the number one spot. Like that means people like that stuff. You don't have to like it. That's fine. But to, to act like they, they're, they're not objectively successful is just weird cult-like behavior. It is a form of losing too. Like you call people losers, but it's like they lose their opportunity to be themselves, which is the most elevating NPC. and freeing experience on earth if you have a chance as a human to speak openly about what you believe and yeah these i mean these people do need to be prayed for they are npcs what you were saying exa is exactly right true but that revelation is so powerful because i think you know it's like if they're already calling me racist for just my beliefs that aren't controversial if they're already calling me sexist 
then then I'm just going to go pedal to the metal and go full throttle and take it back in any way I can. Um, because they're, like you said, they're NPCs, they're, they're controlled by fear. And when you break that simulation, amazing things. So you give people bravery. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. These people are destroying everything. I mean, like, I mean, you look at She-Hulk, have you seen watch, have you watched She-Hulk yet? Yep. Right. Uh It's, it's just this attack on men, right? It, It needs to be combated with men coming out and just attacking it as a response. Right. Because when, 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 when I, you let this agenda come out and everyone gets demasculinized, everyone gets feminized and, 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 oh, everything's toxic because you're masculine. No, be more masculine. Come out I, and be I, aggressive. I, and push yes, out yes, yes. It. But look at Eric July. Look at Ripaverse. Yeah. How much did he make? On I that? think it was like over three million. Three million. Oh, the Ripaverse. The Ripaverse. Yeah. And what, what PayPal froze his money. This is the scariest thing to the cult successful culture building mm-hmm. they, they they lose their minds over it they have to reject it they have to attack it and what do you how do they how, they can't stop it they can't and and that's i think you know when when she hulk comes out and it's and it's it's hilariously bad garbage or whatever it's like the lowest rated show that marvel's done yet it's just cr- it's cringy i give it like a c minus I, I i watch it there's some funny bits in it but it is not it, it is what it is and if people like it i'm fine with them liking it miss marvel was way worse in my opinion that was like a magic school bus show, a PSA on partition in Pakistan or whatever. If you don't like it, let me ask you something. When you don't like, here we go, here we go, Drew. Uh, name a song you don't like. Um, Friday, Friday. Rebecca Black. Yeah. Rebecca Black. Okay, that that song was from twelve year, twelve years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Is there a song from this week that you don't like that's like in the news? I don't even, I don't know what's out right now. Exactly. Because you don't focus on things you don't like. You focus on the things you do like. So for these people to come out and start attacking and criticizing the Daily Wire, the stuff we're doing, or, or you know, anybody else, that's when you know you're having an impact. They're threatened. I, exactly. They, the real threat, it's not that people on in cultists can't stop the, the art, the phenomenal art that's appearing. It's that they don't want to. That's the real threat in their minds. It's like a cognitive business. Like, I like this. I don't want to stop this. I was told that I'm not, I'm supposed to fear it, but it's good. And I feel better. And that's like this coming to terms with yourself or your, you know, that's, it's a, it's a phenomenal, it's a great thing to witness. I, I think the response to She-Hulk should be what Eric July is doing. Make, like Daily Wire should be working on adaptations of, of his stuff. They should be like, okay, how do we turn this into a big show? Because clearly the audience wants it. There's a market opportunity, and that's how you win a culture war by making culture. Yeah, I'm so. I mean, look, dude, hearing that dude made over three million dollars, oh, it's a breath. It's it's a breath of fresh air. The more the more people are start start working on this stuff, the more people start producing and developing culture. That's look. The elections are great, but but politics is downstream from culture. You get a law in the books that your culture is unwilling to enforce. The law is meaningless. Even John Roberts didn't want to overturn Roe v. Wade because of where the culture was at. But then you end up with, you know, these three, these, these several other justices, these four other justices. And then it becomes, well, you got no choice now. That's Donald Trump getting them in. But look at what happens when you don't have the culture. They demonize Trump and they go after him relentlessly. You, you need, if, if every celebrity was, was, was more like, we, we have to support America, otherwise I'll lo- we'll lose our jobs, this country would be doing well. 
Instead, they're like, you have to hate America, otherwise we lose our jobs. That is an inverse economic incentive that is destroying this country. Well, like that's the dangerous thing about censorship is that if you censor something enough, it, it's not going to solve any problems. It's just going to make that thing come back with, with a vengeance. It's going to swing back even harder. Um, and I think that was, you know, Trump's whole ethos, right? That they were just suppressing the right to spread. And then he came back with this, with this, you know, he came back intensely. And I think it's the same thing with masculinity. If you suppress masculinity enough, it's going to come back even harder. You know, you see that with Andrew Tate. And regardless of all the things he says, it's like they're censoring masculinity. They're, they're you know, I'm an Eagle Scout. They, they kicked, uh, you know, they started lending women into to the Boy Scouts. And it's like masculinity came back even harder and even more toxic or whatever you want to call it. So I think this, this censorship stuff, it doesn't solve anything in the long term. Thanks for checking out this segment from the TimCast IRL podcast. But if you want to check out the full show live, tune in Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. And if you want more special access content, head over to TimCast.com and become a member. Your membership helps sustain this company, keep our journalists employed, makes this show happen, and you will get access to exclusive members-only segments of the TimCast IRL podcast. And I'm really good at promoting other people's podcasts. <laughs> no, Tim Pool, he's, you know, they kind of break it down logically. I like the way they uh, kind of put it together. So I don't mind uh, giving out plugs to people that are going to give you good information. Um, like I said, I don't do this for the money by any means. Uh, I'd go broke real quick. <laughs> um, anyways, I'm going to come back with one more segment of a new thing I like to do. And that is stuff from my Instagram. And we'll be back with that in just a moment. So here we go with the things from my Instagram. Starting out, I'm going to go back to some of the old stuff because it's been sitting in here a while. That way I can get through it and get it out of there and clean up some space in there. So here we go. This is uh, probably one of the first ones. Disclaimer, this is all public domain, but here we go down the rabbit hole again. In 1993, the FBI declassified a 324-page document about the role intelligence officers played in ritualistic child abuse called the Finders. The Finders are a CIA front that was established in the 1960s. The members were trained government officials with top-level clearance. They were assigned with the task of kidnapping, torture programming, and abusing children throughout the United States, and sometimes involving satanic rituals. They used a fleet of unmarked vans to grab targeted children from parks and schoolyards. In doing so, they used the children within the organization as decoys who track the victims close to the van where they are then grabbed by the adults. They transport the children to a series of safe houses to keep them from being found. They are then used in their satanic ceremonies for body parts as sex slaves and some are auctioned off at various locations around the northern hemisphere. In the past, the finders have auctioned off children at secret locations near Las Vegas, Nevada and Toronto, Canada. Marion David Petit is an identified homosexual pedophile and a CIA operative. His son was a member of a CIA proprietary firm, Air America which was notorious for smuggling drugs destined for the U.S. out of the Golden Triangle into Saigon during the Vietnam War. Disclaimer, this is all public domain, but here we go down the rabbit hole again. In 1993, the FBI declassified a 324-page document about the role intelligence officers played in ritualistic child abuse called the Finders. The Finders. Disclaimer, the finders. this is all public domain. Oh, whoops. That is one thing I hate about Instagram is it keeps repeating the same thing if you've played it. Um, so, anyways, let me see here. Disclaimer, gotta, this is all public domain. But Boy, that gets annoying when i got to keep doing that. 
Um, so anyways, if you want to search that up, the finders, uh, you can go, like that guy said, cone down the rabbit hole, uh, 1993, if that's when, how long ago it's been. So, I mean, I'm sure this stuff's been disappeared for a long time out of anybody's memory for, geez, I was still in high school in 93. Good grief. Um, Let's see what this one here is. For years, Facebook and Instagram have been purging content creators and removing content that it deems harmful, despite the fact that so much of that content has now been proven to be accurate. So who specifically is responsible? Well, a new investigation finds that Meta's content policy is being controlled by dozens of former CIA agents. In fact, the report finds it's harder to find someone who did not at one time work at the CIA than to find someone who did. So what does that mean for content online? It's an incredible story, and there is so much more to it. I'm Ben Swan. This is Truth in Media. Okay, so if that's the case, then uh, that makes a whole lot of sense on if those are ex-CIA operatives that are now working, like all these uh, platforms, essentially. They can set up the algorithms to catch anything that they might need to, you know, kind of scrutinize a little bit. And then if they deem it, it's going to hurt so-and-so. Uh, okay. Well, you're shadow banned, you're banned <laughs> or just whatever they decide they want to do and just randomly say, Oh, it goes against our community guidelines or whatever BS crap they make up. Um, let's see what else we got here. The punishment for being gay. Someone who goes down this path, the Islamic punishment of death should apply to them. The giver and receiver. In your opinion, what is worse, a child who is gay or a child who is a drug addict? Being gay is worse. What is worse, a child who is gay or a child who is a thief? Homosexual. What about a murderer? Both are bad. That was a Palestinian imam. So, you know, we got all these protesters here in the United States. Oh, gay rights, blah, 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 all this. But they don't say anything about these countries that literally your penalty for coming out as being gay is death. That is a religious faction of some of these people in other countries in Europe, the Middle East. But we're the we're the bad guys over here because we just say, leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. <laughs> we don't give us enough attention. We need more attention over here. Um, let's see. What's more valuable, an eagle egg or a human baby? I have a petition to stop the killing of eagles, like eagle eggs. You know, people disturb them or they destroy them. These eagles haven't been born yet. Like, they have rights, you know, everything. Like, we don't we don't think that they should be harmed or there should be harsher penalties for those kind of things. Would you guys agree? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Yeah, of course. Awesome. Don't kill eagles. Yeah, don't kill eagles, right? Eagles have rights, too. Eagles are people, too. Yeah, eagles are people, too. I hope... <laughs> thank you thank you so much and we actually let me just talk to you real quick we have one other petition about stopping the killing of humans oh my god like babies Wait, so i know no, if you would want to agree with that i i'm pro-abortion sorry oh fair enough oh no like, i don't agree 
You don't agree? I uh, fully support abortion. A human woman should have more rights probably than a bald eagle. Yeah. Okay. Abortion. Uh, rape isn't considered when you're talking of, like, e eagles aren't raped. That's, I think that's true. And that's how nutty some of these people are. They will do anything to protect an eagle baby. But when it comes to a human baby, and we should be smart enough to know where human babies come from, but by all means, kill it. Make sure it does not become a human. Now, eagles, we got to make sure they become an eagle because it pretty much happens kind of really similarly the same way. It takes a male eagle and a female eagle to create a baby of either one of those two sexes <laughs> of eagle. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get hate for that one. <laughs> Um, let's see. Next. Afternoon, the Secretary General and Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, will sign a, will witness the signing of a memorandum of understanding on a strategic partnership between the UN and the World Economic Forum, which outlines areas of cooperation to deepen engagement between the two institutions and to jointly accelerate the implementation of the 2030 agenda. Uh, the title on that one was United Nations announces Klaus Schwab as of the World Economic Forum and UN General Secretary Antonio Guterres have signed an agreement to accelerate Agenda 2030. Oh, goody. Um, let's see. What else have we got here? This, this one's a meme. I don't think we need to listen to the music. <laughs> Perfect example of a hard target. The fourth little pig's house was made of wolf skulls. They aren't very sturdy, but they send a message. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> um, let me see. Um, uh, I, I do have like a picture. Okay, it's a split picture. The top one is the Hubble Space Telescope. And I don't know, you know, this is kind of the nerd part of me coming out here. But there, I mean, it was mind-blowing when the Hubble Space Telescope was sending back pictures of like the darkest spot they think they, okay, we're going to send this telescope and we're going to point it over here at this really dark spot where it doesn't look like there's any stars or anything. And then however long it takes, I don't know, to produce the picture of it staring into that space. Out comes this ginormous surprise that that little dark space, it looking as far as it can down into space, and that picture comes back with nothing but just full of galaxies. Galaxies, not stars, galaxies. And now we have this new James Webb Space Telescope that is now taking that same picture, magnifying it, clarifying it to like an HD picture. It is mind-blowing. If you can ever, if just want something to go look at that is just mind-blowing, go to the James Webb Space Telescope pictures. And look at what it's bringing back. It's crazy. Crazy stuff. But it's also like just wild to think how small and insignificant we really are in this universe. <laughs> um, Let's see. Oh, here's one. Vladimir Lenin gun control. One person with a gun can control 100 people. Oh, whoops. Dang it. Turn the sound on. Hold on. Let me redo that one. Redo. Person with a gun can control 100 people without one. Now picture this. 
You're standing there in the bank to cash a check. Somebody walks in and holds up a gun and says, everybody lay on the floor. Everybody lays on the floor. Now, picture this. Every red-blooded, honest, God-fearing American citizen is packing a gun. He's not looking for trouble. He's just, he just has a gun, just in case, you know. The guy walks into the bank, pulls out a gun. Everybody lay on the floor. Instantly, 80 guns are pointed at him. No, sir, you lay on the floor. Gun control is not about guns, it's about control. Every dictator has wanted gun control. Lenin wanted it, Stalin wanted it, Hitler wanted it. And the list goes on and on. But still, we have to argue about if we could just get rid of the guns and nobody would ever die. <laughs> and that's a lie. <laughs> um, Let's see, what's wrong with wind and solar? Have you ever heard of unobtainium? It's the magical energy mineral found on the planet Pandora in the movie Avatar. It's a fantasy in a science fiction script. But environmentalists think they found it here on Earth in the form of wind and solar power. They think all the energy we need can be supplied by building enough wind and solar farms and enough batteries. The simple truth is that we can't, nor should we want to, not if our goal is to be good stewards of the planet. To understand why, consider some simple physics realities that aren't being talked about. All sources of energy have limits that can't be exceeded. The maximum rate at which the sun's photons can be converted to electrons is about 33%. Our best solar technology is at 26% efficiency. For wind, the maximum capture is 60%. Our best machines are at 45%. So we're pretty close to wind and solar limits. Despite PR claims about big gains coming, there just aren't any possible. And wind and solar only work when the wind blows and the sun shines, but we need energy all the time. The solution, we're told, is to use batteries. Again, physics and chemistry make this very hard to do. Consider the world's biggest battery factory, the one Tesla built in Nevada. It would take 500 years for that factory to make enough batteries to store just one day's worth of America's electricity needs. This helps explain why wind and solar currently still supply less than 3% of the world's energy after 20 years and billions of dollars in subsidies. Putting aside the economics, if your motive is to protect the environment, you might want to rethink wind, solar, and batteries because, like all machines, they're built from non-renewable materials. Consider some sobering numbers. A single electric car battery weighs about a half a ton. Fabricating one requires digging up, moving, and processing more than 250 tons of earth somewhere on the planet. Building a single 100-megawatt wind farm can power 75,000 homes requires some 30,000 tons of iron ore and 50,000 tons of concrete, as well as 900 tons of non-recyclable plastics for the huge blades. To get the same power from solar, the amount of cement, steel, and glass needed is 150% greater. Then there's the other minerals needed, including elements known as rare earth metals. With current plans, the world will need an incredible 200 to 2,000% increase in mining for elements such as cobalt, lithium, and dysprosium, to name just a few. Where is all this stuff going to come from? Massive new mining operations, almost none of it in America, some imported from places hostile to America, and some places we all want to protect. 
Australia's Institute for Sustainable Futures cautions that a global gold rush for energy materials will take miners into remote wilderness areas that have maintained high biodiversity because they haven't yet been disturbed. And who's doing the mining? Well, let's just say that they're not all going to be union workers with union protections. Amnesty International paints a disturbing picture. The marketing of state-of-the-art technologies are a stark contrast to the children carrying bags of rocks. And then the mining itself requires massive amounts of conventional energy, as do the energy-intensive industrial processes needed to refine the materials and then build the wind, solar, battery hardware. Then there's the waste. Wind turbines, solar panels, and batteries have a relatively short life, about 20 years. Conventional energy machines like gas turbines last twice as long. With current plans, the International Renewable Energy Agency calculates that by 2050, the disposal of worn-out solar panels will constitute over double the tonnage of all of today's global plastic waste. Worn-out wind turbines and batteries will add millions of tons more waste. It'll be a whole new environmental challenge. Before we launch history's biggest increase in mining, dig up millions of acres in pristine areas, encourage childhood labor, and create epic waste problems, we might want to reconsider our almost inexhaustible supply of hydrocarbons, the fuels that make our marvelous modern world possible. And technology is making it easier to acquire and cleaner to use them every day. The following comparisons are typical and instructive. It costs about the same to drill one oil well as it does to build one giant wind turbine. And while that turbine generates the energy equivalent of about one barrel of oil per hour, the oil rig produces 10 barrels per hour. It costs less than 50 cents to store a barrel of oil or its equivalent in natural gas, but you need $200 worth of batteries to hold the energy contained in one oil barrel. Next time someone tells you that wind, solar, and batteries are the magical solution for all our energy needs, ask them if they have an idea of the cost to the environment. Unobtainium works fine in the movies, but we don't live in the movies. We live in the real world. I'm Mark Mills, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute for Prager University. And there's that. And next. The new world order. Population reduction. I believe we are enslaved in a society where we will not be free to think or feel or do anything other than consume. Slaves for work to buy things beyond our means. Living in fear of terrorism. I believe this is to blindside us, trick us into a situation where they, the powers that be, will wipe us out. Kill most of us. Kill all of us here. They are going to reduce the population. There will be a global population reduction until there are only 500 million people there. How do you know that? It's a question of space and the resources space has. And using those resources to survive and not exploiting them. Almost 7 billion humans use too many resources. This leads to a very uncertain future for us all. Right, climate change. Climate change occurs naturally. That's why we have the Ice Age. So now you're telling me that climate change is fake? As you know it. Why do you recycle? Why do you recycle? I'm doing my bit. 
So you're trying to save the planet? Yeah. How precious of you to think that you could save the planet. If she needed saving, especially from us, she'd just wipe us out. Hypothetically, if we want to conserve 80% of the planet's resources, then we should get rid of or cull that 20% of the population who are consuming them, yeah? Hypothetically, I guess that would be a solution. Yeah. The final solution. We use so much of the planet's resources, there's just no balance. Soon we would have depleted the resources so much that life can't be sustained. And then everything would die. How would they reduce the population? We're not stupid. Hitler said, the bigger the lie, the more the people will believe it. I think it will be done hit the start. The armed forces are going to kill us. They'll follow orders. It's what they've been trained to do. They're being taught to be racists. The army are already killing people in other countries. People in power are using fear to fuel the racism. How long before they use this racism to make soldiers turn on their own? Innocent people. Living in a police state. So it had begun controlling and monitoring the movement of individuals within the society, putting chips in passports, ID cards, CCTV. They're using this orchestrated ruse to convince the public to accept big brother type controls. And then they will intentionally reduce the mass of the world's population. Mass genocide on a scale never seen before. There are a mass of ways they could introduce population slaughter. More staged events, orchestrated and maneuvered conflicts, and the use of bioengineered diseases. Vaccines. It could come in vaccines. Women are being encouraged to get sterilized. What if they're using cervical cancer jabs? Not this generation, but the next. Prevention and cure for cancer or having babies. Madness. You're right. They never wait two generations. It'll be done in a barbaric fashion using draconian methods, and this global holocaust will probably come out from under the flag of the UN. You can almost imagine us being frog marched away from our homes in a martial law kind of way. No one bats an eyelid. Almost 95% of the population. 13 out of every 14 people killed, destroyed. In order to stabilize world population, they need or want to dispose of six and a half billion people. Ouch, that's a lot of people. I think that's just kind of a hypothetical little thing that somebody put together, but hey, these days you never know. <laughs> Um, let's see, what else we got here? Gun control from a victim's perspective. I may have played this one before, but it's a good one. Not here representing the NRA. I'm not even a member. Okay. Secondly, I'd like to say that uh, in your opening statements, um, you commented that uh, you commented specifically on my testimony saying that basically it had nothing to do with this issue. And I had to chuckle because then I noticed you had uh, Mr. Brady up here who was hit not with an assault weapon, but with a 22 caliber revolver. So getting beyond that, I didn't grow up in a house with guns. I don't hunt, I personally abhor hunting, but I was given a gun by a friend when I was 21 to carry, 
in my purse for self-defense, and I was taught how to use it. A couple of years ago, my parents and I went to a cafeteria in Texas on a bright, sunny day. We weren't in a dark alley where we weren't supposed to be. And as you all know the story, this madman drove his truck through the window, and he began shooting. Well, immediately, my father and I got down on the floor and put the table up in front of us. And this guy kept shooting. And you're thinking, what, you know, what could it be? Is it, is it a robbery? That's the first thing that generally comes to mind. And he keeps shooting. It took me a good 45 seconds to realize that this man wasn't there to commit a robbery. He wasn't there for a hit. He was there to simply shoot as many people as he possibly could. Now, I'd like to make something clear. I hear all this talk about how many bullets can go in a clip. I've been there. I can tell you it doesn't matter. It takes one second to switch out a clip. You can have one bullet or a hundred bullets. It doesn't matter, guys. I've been there. He goes, don't, don't. Just like that. That's not enough time to rush a man. I promise you. When I finally realized what was occurring, I thought, I got him. And I reached for my purse. He was maybe 12 feet away. You know, is it possible my gun could have jammed? Sure. Is it possible I could have missed? Sure. But I can tell you I've hit much smaller targets at much greater distances. But then I realized that a couple of months earlier, I had made the stupidest decision of my life. I took my gun out of my purse and left it in my car. Because as you well know, in the state of Texas, it's sometimes a felony offense to carry a gun in your purse. I can tell you that I'm not mad at the guy that did this. As he continued, it was obvious that he was a madman. My father at that point said, I'm gonna, I, I've gotta do something, I've gotta do something. He's gonna kill everybody in here and he rushed the man. No way. Guy turned, shot him in the chest. He went down, uh, was obviously mortally wounded. For whatever reason, that made the man change directions and go off to my left. Shortly thereafter, someone at the back of the restaurant broke out a window. When I saw what looked like an opportunity to escape, I turned around and I grabbed my mother by the shirt and I said, come on, come on, we've got to run, we've got to get out of here. And then my feet grew wings and I was out the back window. As soon as I got out, I realized that my mother had not followed me out. And as I learned from the police officers, she had crawled over to where my father was and cradled him until the guy got back around her, put the gun to her head. She looked up at him, put her head down, and he pulled the trigger. My parents had just had their 47th wedding anniversary. She wasn't going anywhere. As I mentioned, I'm not really mad at the guy that did this. And I'm certainly not mad at the guns that did this. They didn't walk in there by themselves and pull their own triggers. The guy that did it was a, a, a lunatic. That's like being mad at a, a rabid dog. I'm mad at my legislators for legislating me out of the right to protect myself and my family. I would much rather be sitting in jail with a felony offense on my head and have my parents alive. As far as these so-called assault weapons, you say that they don't have any defense use. You tell that to the guy that I saw on a videotape of the LA riots, standing up on his rooftop protecting his property and his life from an entire mob with one of these so-called assault weapons. 
tell me that he didn't have a legitimate self-defense use. Just one final statement. I'm, I've been sitting here getting more and more fed up with all of this talk about these pieces of machinery having no legitimate sporting purpose, no legitimate hunting purpose. People, that is not the point of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is not about duck hunting. And I know I'm not going to make very many friends saying this, but it's about our rights, all of our rights, to be able to protect ourselves from all of you guys up there. Ouch. But man, was that lady ever speaking the truth there? And uh, I think I got time for maybe one more here. I'm going to keep doing these things because they're kind of fun. <laughs> um, let's see. Got one more. Uh, I don't know what the heck that one is. So I don't know. Do you believe I don't know. Let's just go with this one. If Putin is telling us not to give up our guns, and he's supposed to be at war with us, wouldn't that be telling us to fight against him, basically? Uh, I think I might have lost part of my mind on that one, right? That just don't make sense. The one we go in the war with telling us to keep our guns, and if we go in the war with him, our guns are going to be used against them, so... Or is he telling us to keep our guns because our government is at war against its own people? The more you know. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's where I'm going to end it here. I'm about on my 30-minute mark here anyway. So, until next time, this is The Nielsen Show. I'm signing out where I'm constantly, uh, you know, trying to make this show better for everybody so it's not such a drag. And I think, for the most part, if I start doing these towards the end of the day instead of in the morning when my brain's not actually functioning properly, I think it will at least come out on your end a lot better, hopefully. <laughs> uh, but here we are, signing out once again for this week's episode of The Nielsen Show. Thank you once again for being here. And until the next time, let's get it done.